Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, July 10th, 2018, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. There are only three spots left for our next Starseed Quest to Arkansas, which is August 17 through 20, for the Harmonic Convergence Anniversary. This is a soul family reunion, and you'll need at least one galactic marking, which is 25, 26, or 27 degrees of any sign on your natal chart, to be eligible. And you can write to crystals at starseedhotline.com for more info. We're happy to welcome Maureen St. Germain back to our show. Maureen is an Ascension teacher and author who has developed foolproof techniques to access your higher self and tonight introduces her latest book, Waking Up in 5D. In it, she details how to simplify your own waking up in fifth dimension. Founder of the Akashic Records International, she was granted access to dimensions that have been closed to most of humanity for eons. Now she is considered a direct channel to source. Known for her Amazon bestsellers, The Power of Sacred Tools, Beyond the Flower of Life, and Be a Genie, she's been sharing knowledge she's gained from her years of research and meditation on ancient truths. And since 1995, she's traveled worldwide, teaching through wisdom teachings and sacred practices. Labeled a modern-day mystic in famous Wisconsin mystics, She has taught in 24 countries, including China, Japan, Australia, Bulgaria, Turkey, Egypt, England, Scotland, Canada, Mexico, and the U.S., just to name a few. She's taught at the prestigious American Center's Kripalu and Omega Institute. As a transformational teacher, author, and intuitive, her books have been translated into Russian, Italian, and Chinese. She's been featured on National Geographic specials and hundreds of radio shows worldwide, including Coast to Coast with George Norrie and Fade to Black with Jimmy Church. And you can visit her website, which is Maureen St. Germain, and Maureen is M-A-U-R-E-E-N, St. Germain, S-T-G-E-R-M-A-I-N.com. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to Starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. And we'd like to thank Jada and Fiona for hosting the switchboard tonight for those who may have a question or comment for our guest. We have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a safe place to connect with other Starseeds thanks to Tammy's helpful dedication. You can download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk. And if you'd like to show your support of our program, please just click follow on our page here. The toll-free number for StarseedHotline.com is 888-881-0881. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart. And the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. And for those who need healing of any kind, emotional, physical, or spiritual, for yourself or your pets, Tammy's powerful remote sessions will make a difference. 
And if you have a birthday coming up, you don't want to miss out on your 10 hours of power, you can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. And please remember, if you want an interpretation of that chart, you'll need to order it about three months ahead of time because we do have a waiting list. So first up this evening, I would like to introduce Anastasia with her wonderful Starseed News. Hey, Good Anastasia. Evening, hello, hello, everybody. Great to be with you. <clears throat> We're going to have some fun tonight. I have some fun stories for you. It's time to lighten things up a bit, so we've got some fun ahead. But before we get to that, do you know we've had 100 days of spotlessness of the sun as of today? The sun has wow. been without sunspots for 100 days this year twenty in 2018. If Current trends continue. They say 2018 will be will end with a 10-year low in sunspot counts. This is a sign that solar minimum is approaching and even more rapidly than forecasters expected. What does this mean for us on Earth? Well, they tell us it's ironic, but low solar activity boosts cosmic rays, more radiation exposure. And it's really been hot. And I don't know if that's related, but it's been really hot. And we have had some really close, close call, uh, calls with asteroids, you guys. I mean, on the 7th of July and on the 8th, j- j- uh, just a couple of days ago, we had uh, one, two, three asteroids, two of them coming with zero within a 0.3 lunar distance. I mean, just a shave, a really close shave. The third one on that day was 10 lunar distance, which is still pretty close. And uh, coming up here on the 17th of July, we're going to have one coming by, 2018 NM, that's 1.4 lunar distance. That's still close. But we have had some really close shaves just in the last few days. And that's about the closest so far that's predicted on this chart that I'm looking at. But, you know, often they discover them once they've entered the atmosphere already. So as of what is known uh, uh, coming on the horizon, most of those close shaves have now passed for uh, up until the first part of September. But I'll keep you posted. Well, in Japan, they have had an awful time with rain, floods, and fires. Uh, Their torrential rain, floods, and landslides have left at least 126 dead in Japan, the highest death uh, death toll caused by rainfall in over 30 years. This happened in southwestern Japan, battered a large area of the land there, left a whole bunch of people dead, as I said, and a lot of people missing. And as the death toll has continued to climb from this torrential rainfall, fires have been set off by landslides. And while officials worked to control flooding at several dams, about 250 people had to evacuate. Roads have been blocked in areas and warnings issued about landslides. And now military water trucks are rushing to areas where water systems are not working anymore, trying to deliver water to residents. It's a miserable condition there miserable and in california oh my gosh it's uh early summer yet we've had multiple wildfires and record-breaking heat wildfires have burned through southern and central california starting friday prompting mandatory evacuations as areas across the region experienced record-breaking heat 
Wildfires burned through southern and central California, prompting mandatory evactions as areas across the region experienced this this heat. Uh, firefighter fighters battled blazes in Alpine and Camp Middleton Marine Corps Base in San Diego, California, where the National Weather Service had issued an excessive heat warning until 9 in the evening. A fire also broke out further north in the city of Goleta in Santa Barbara County later on Friday night. Very familiar with that part of California. And the wildfire in Alpine, known as the West Fire, started in the morning and spread to more than 400 acres by the afternoon, according to the uh, California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection. That's not all. In Nevada, they've got their own problems. Uh, there's a Martin fire burning northeast of Winnemucca. It's grown to 164,971 acres. The Martin fire is now expanding into Elko County, threatening homes and other pieces of land in its path. It is burning ver- ferociously about 48 miles northeast of Winnemucca, <clears throat> and it was only 2% contained as of Saturday. That's 258 square miles, almost double its size on Friday. That's just in one day. Wind gusting to 35 miles an hour and really flammable cheatgrass and sagebrush are fueling the fire. There were no heavy snows this past year to push down this uh, foliage, so it's standing tall and there's more than 200% of the normal amount of this flammable Uh, foliage that's feeding this fire. Okay, enough serious stuff. This is adorable. I had to share it with you. The article is called Seven Animal Escape Stories Straight Out of a Disney Movie. (laughs) And I'm going to kind of read this. This this writer's brilliant. He is so funny. So here goes. He starts off by saying, It may sound bizarre, but some animals don't want to be fenced in, turned into sandwiches, or forced to perform for preteens who'd rather be playing Minecraft. And so, when the right circumstances present themselves, they'll take matters into their own hooves and escape the physical and metaphysical fences holding them in, charging off into the world and inspiring us all with their carefree spirit of not wanting to die. There are seven times an animal has wormed its way out of captivity and straight into our hearts, and we are going to share it with you now. Number one, a flamingo escaped from a zoo in Kansas, then turned up eight years later in Texas with another escaped flamingo. Here's the story. In 2005, an African flamingo escaped from a zoo in Wichita, Kansas. After employees forgot to clip his wings, and the big dork decided to use them. You'd think it would be hard to lose track of what's essentially a brightly colored, horribly misshapen swan on stilts, but this flamingo managed a cross-country road trip. (laughs) The flamingo was eventually found eight years later living in the Gulf of Mexico, with his leg band from the zoo still attached. But on the way, he'd been spotted by bird watchers in Louisiana and Wisconsin before settling in an inlet off Port Lavaca, Texas, shacked up with another flamingo who had bolted from a colony in Mexico's Yucatan Peninsula. Why did the flamingo leave the friendly, affordable confines of Wichita? Well, the zookeeper who lost him, who didn't clip his wings, explained... Well, as soon as he had the chance, he just flew out of here. His instincts are honed to do that. The zookeeper presumably then added, 
quote. But zoos are definitely awesome and not cruel, and you really should totally come to ours, end quote. <laughs> oh, yes. All right. There's a penguin that escaped. His name is Penguin 337. That's right. And he pulled off a daring aquarium escape. He eluded the Coast Guard and lives the high life in Tokyo Bay. This is all about prison escapes, guys. <laughs> Uh-huh. Penguin 337 is the name of a penguin from Tokyo Sea Life Park. Well, it managed to jump a rock twice its height, slip through a gap in a seven-foot-tall fence, and elude authorities for 82 days. There's got to be at least five movies worth of whimsical adventures and friendship lessons in there somewhere. In the meantime, keepers were dispatched daily to search for the penguin, and it was spotted approximately 30 times by fishermen and locals. And yet... 337 remained on the lamb for almost three months, taunting its pursuers by frolicking in the open seas, binge-eating wild fish, and achieving cult status like some penguin dillinger captivating Depression-era sea life park. (laughs) Authorities were shocked to learn that the captivity-raised animal was able to thrive in the wild for so long, the same way they were likely shocked to learn that they couldn't keep a two-foot-tall, flightless, waddling bird inside a perimeter fence. Old 337 was finally apprehended by two keepers after some snitch saw it swimming in a river and tipped off the fuzz. (laughs) There was no word on whether or not the fugitive and its pursuers had developed a grudging mutual respect for one another at the time of the climactic apprehension. And scientists gave research monkeys an enrichment tool. That's in quotes. That's what they really did. They called it an enrichment tool, which these monkeys in turn used to escape and run around San Antonio. Well, here's kind of the scary part. They escaped from the Texas Biomedical Research Facility. (laughs) You know, you've all watched Outbreak movies, right? Well, anyway, Uh these monkeys were from a biomedical research facility. Well, the scientists in the lab gave four baboons a 55-gallon barrel for their enrichment tool, which the monkeys promptly used to jump out of their open-air enclosure and ditch the facility. They climbed up on the barrel, (laughs) and they jumped the fence. (laughs) Three of the baboons proceeded to run run along the road near the lab, and they scared a bunch of drivers, while the fourth inexplicably went back to the facility... (laughs) We don't know why, but he probably called over her sho- his shoulder, you guys, we're going to get in trouble. But the other three baboons who managed to escape were rounded up within 30 minutes by an animal control team, but not before taking part in the most intense chase sequence since O.J. Simpson. They were running around like madmen trying to catch these research animals. Research animals from a biomedical lab, the facility was so concerned about public opinion, it issued a press release assuring people this. These animals were not infected. They were not in an active study nor used in infectious disease research. Well, good. (laughs) That prompted assurance that the escaped baboons weren't infected with any deadly diseases, and that should put everyone at ease. Scientists have since removed the barrel, the enrichment tool, and replaced it with a far safer little gizmo, a huge cake with the nail filed in it. <laughs> uh, boy. Mm, a cat. We all like cats. Don't we like cats? I love cats. 
yeah. Well, the cat escaped from her carrier and lived over JFK Airport for eight days. In a turn of events, straight out of the pages of a child's book, this four-year-old tabby cat named Pepper recently slipped out of her owner's carrying case at JFK right as her owner was about to fly to China to begin a new job. Well, the heartbroken owner had to take the flight anyway, hoping that Pepper would eventually turn up. And she did, eight days later. In the interim, the cat had managed to work her way into the terminal's interior superstructure, which is not accessible to humans, you know, all that stuff hanging from the ceiling. Pepper lived on her own for a full week, occasionally coming down to look for an outlet and to order $17.95 tuna wraps on touchscreens. Port Authority <laughs> officials launched a full-on search for the cat, but failed in their attempts to lure it with food-filled safe traps and typing on their laptops while yelling, I'm getting a lot of work done. <laughs> Finally, they enlisted the help of the friend of Pepper's owner, who called to the cat by her native Mandarin name, Dai Ming, and offered her some food. Well, fortunately, the cat recognized the person's voice and came down to say hi and for having to endure keeping herself alive in the terminal superstructure for eight days, the airport offered Pepper a free ticket to go home and join her owner. Well, Central Florida, you know, Florida has sort of a reputation of being a bit crazy, maybe having some little crazy people, little crazy things happen, loose alligators, you know. People in Florida, some of them are, you know, Somewhat different. Well, anyway, back in the 1930s, an ambitious zoo park entrepreneur, he wanted to start a zoo, this man. He mailed himself some monkeys, mailed them, shipped them, to add a monkey island highlight to his Florida jungle cruise attraction in the 1930s. Well, unfortunately, the monkeys weren't that enthusiastic about his business plan, so They swam off the island and escaped into the wild, where they lived there for years. Now, interestingly, concerningly, most of the monkeys carried herpes B, and they attacked humans. Well, in 2015, move forward now, 85 years. Uh, In 2015, a rhesus monkey was spotted running along the roof of an elementary school in the town of Lady Lake, which is a... A decadent retirement community. Um, and uh, they tried to catch it, and they couldn't catch it. Um, but finally, uh, they managed to get a hold of it. It caused quite a, a, an episode, quite a, um, an upset. Um, and then they discovered that these monkeys that were originally uh, brought in in 1930 have been thriving in wild populations uh, all around Florida, in the wild. And they've spread to multiple towns, many miles away from their original park. And they're getting into schools and houses. And they still carry herpes B. And so it's really kind of dangerous there. So that's not a terribly funny story, except that, well, you know, uh, it all started out with a man who wanted to add monkeys to his zoo. And uh, they got away, and they're still living in the wild. And so 
if you happen to be in Florida and you come across wild monkeys or monkeys out in the open, you probably want to go the other way. And a giant tortoise escaped from a zoo and was missing for two weeks. But it, surprisingly, not surprisingly, never went too far. There was this 120-pound giant tortoise. His name was Abba. And he was allowed to roam free in Japan's zoological park. But park officials probably underestimated its stealth and ability because somehow Abba escaped from the zoo and he disappeared. Well, tortoises can survive for weeks at a time without any food or water, so there was no telling where this little jailbird would show up. Everybody said, where did he go? Well, after they searched everywhere, uh, (laughs) they finally found uh, this turtle, Abba. He was sitting in some shrubbery about 450 feet away from where it started. He'd just gone a few (laughs) feet. So that's, uh, ah, boy. And the most stealthy escape artist of them all is a cow. You wouldn't think that cows are slippery little devils, would you? There's a lot of cows behind fences all over the world. And so, you know, sometimes cows get out. Uh, (laughs) But this is uh, kind of about the stuff of legend. Here's how it goes. Earlier this year, a cow in southern Poland was on its way to the slaughterhouse when it decided to change its destination to Splitsville, according to this author. Uh, (laughs) Author. (laughs) It rushed a metal gate. It broke through. It escaped and swam out to an island in the middle of a lake and stayed there. This is legit, guys. When firefighters approached the island by boat to recapture the cow, it strode back into the water and swam to a peninsula 150 feet away. Eventually, the impressed farmer gave up and let the cow live out its life in peace. He even feeds the cow now. (laughs) I think he he thinks the cow deserves it. And the story goes on to say, and because Poland isn't the only country with super intelligent cows driven by wanderlust, last Christmas a cow escaped a nativity scene in Philadelphia twice in one day. It wandered (laughs) off from the traditional baby Jesus uh, play event outside of a church in Philly's Old City neighborhood and made its way up Interstate 95, where state troopers boxed the animal in with cruisers and one of them lassoed it. They then returned it to the nativity scene where it clearly wanted to be, but it ran away again. And this time it made its way into an underground parking garage where they had another police standoff. And the writer tells us that after that the cow was fired from its job at the nativity scene. All right. Oh, I thought that was also cute. Well, this isn't so cute. So the FCC wants to charge you $225 to review your complaints. Under current rules, the commission is required to hear your opinion, but ah. Thursday, the Federal Communications Commission will be voting to ensure that they won't have to read about your complaints anymore. Democrats are not happy about it. Two high-ranking Democrats have sent a letter to the commission's chairman uh, to voice their disapproval. They said that at a time when consumers are highly dissatisfied with their communications companies, this abrupt change in policy really troubles us. But alas, alack, as it turns out, that if the consumer isn't happy 
with the outcome of the informal complaint. Their only other option would be to file a formal complaint, but you have to pay $225 to do so. Why do we pay taxes? All right. Last story for tonight. This is adorable, too. A British pub claims its ghost was stolen and demands the Chinese artist return it. This is a true story. Lu Pingwan uh, is the name of the man who stole the ghost, and the name of the pub is Ye Old Man in Size, excuse me, a 765-year-old pub in Bolton, England, claims it was haunted by the ghost of James Stanley, the seventh Earl of Derby, who was beheaded outside the pub in 1651. The establishment even posted footage on YouTube that allegedly features images of the ghost in action. But the ghost has, well, given up the ghost. He's missing, and the pub owners are blaming Chinese artist Lu Pingyang for stealing it. How does that work out? Well, Lu wrote on his website that he caught the ghost at the pub in a symbolic reaction to the UK's colonial past which saw great losses of both tangible and intangible cultural assets by other nations. In other words, the Brits stole Chinese uh, treasures. Okay. Well, in response to that, since Lou confessed to stealing the ghost, the pub wants its specter back. The owner of the pub told the news that he sent a letter to the artist calling for the ghost's return. Quote, I feel very strongly that James Stanley's ghost should remain in Bolton and that ye old man inside to preserve the natural order of things. That said, I do believe that your exhibition should travel and be seen by many people around the world, and I would like to contribute to this as long as at the end of your exhibition you return our ghost home. Greenwood told the newspaper that he'd contribute the chair, reputed to have been the one Stanley sat in for his last meal, if the artist would promise to ensure the safe return of both the phantom and the chair. Now, the Chinese man said on his website that his stories are concerned with spiritual themes, about ghosts and such, and he told the newspaper that the ghost had agreed to be captured and agreed to travel for the exhibition. According to Lou, he said the ghost can return, but only if it wants to. Quote, My original thought is after the tour of exhibitions, our world tour, I will discuss with him and ask him whether he would prefer to stay like this as a piece of art or go back to the old man and scythe pub. On the other hand, according to this news article, this pub should be able to spare a ghost or two. It's been reported that this particular pub has been haunted by at least 25 spirits. So they figure that perhaps the ghost, the uh, pub can spare the ghost. <laughs> True story. Totally legitimate. This was in British news, so there you have it. Uh-huh. Wow. Steal a, a, a ghost and take it on a world tour. Wow. That's, that's wild. What are they? <laughs> Since they're invisible, that leaves a lot to the imagination. But there you go. It does. All right. Well, a uh, lot of nonsense, fun stuff for tonight's news. But, you know, sometimes it's just time to lighten up. And yeah. uh, so that's what we did. And from my heart to each one of you, much love. Have a beautiful week, everybody. And keep happy and let let the light shine on. Don't let things get you down. A lot of good stuff out there. 
All right, Ariel, I'll see you next week. Okay, Anastasia, thanks so much. <laughs> I'll be thinking about this one for a while now, <laughs> those animals. Thanks thanks for doing the lighting it up. So I'll talk to you next week. So right now I am going to uh, get Lavendar's microphone open and our special guest, Maureen St. Germain. I know I see you there. Okay. All righty. Hey, Maureen, welcome back to the show. It's nice to have you with us. Thank you. It's a treat to be with you guys. Great oh, story. Oh. Really fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was a little bit on the lighter side. So, um, Lavendar, are you ready to go? I'm okay. ready to go. Well, take, it, take it away. Okay. So, Maureen, thank thank you for um, coming on the show and being our guest tonight. I have been reading on your book, and I love it. Uh, you have really uh, awakened a lot of people with this book. And tell us a little bit about what it's about. There's a, a lot of new people on our show tonight that haven't heard about you or your book, so just take it away. You there? Hello? What happened? Maureen, we can't hear you. I can see she's still on the on the switchboard. So, um Let me try turning your mic off and then on again because we can't okay. hear you, Maureen. Hang on. Okay, we'll do it again. Okay. Oh, apparently um, the call was dropped because then when I tried to open the mic again, her number disappeared. So she went off the switchboard. So um, I'm sure she'll call right back in. So let's just give her a little bit of time. That was some great stories that Anastasia came up with uh, on the lighter side, but I can't. (laughs) Flamingo, that one really really got me well, the ghost got me <laughs> oh yeah yeah well that i mean that one was a little it's like are you people serious yeah <laughs> i mean it takes all yeah. kinds right oh, yeah i don't think you i don't think you could steal a ghost if if he didn't want to go that's um, right <laughs> but yeah how would you know how would yeah and how would you negotiate that that's um it's just kind of funny so I'm 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 looking to see if uh Maureen gets back on. I've got her, her landline number here if you need it. Um well yeah, if she doesn't get back in, I don't maybe she she called I think she was on her cell phone. I've so got that if her too. yeah, if her battery died, um then maybe she'll pick up the landline, but if not I can I can call her from the switchboard. But let me just uh Make sure I'm I'm going up and down the list here, looking for her number. Six one nine and eight. Yeah, I, I don't see it. Well, um, no, I, we don't have that. She's she's just not back yet. I know she was here, and she must be having trouble getting back in. So, um, let me see if I can just call her from the switchboard here. So let me. Uh, get that number here and so i'm you won't be able to hear me i think when i'm when i'm dialing so right. just 
sit tight. Okay. Okay, waiting for the call to ring. Okay, well, that didn't work. Okay, let me try the other number. That was weird. You know, I had a little trouble getting in tonight myself. The the line was not very stable, so I had to hang up and call back in uh, as well. So let me try again. Let's try this other number. Okay. Well, that's not going through either. So I wonder now if there's something wrong with the switchboard. Well, she was here. <laughs> I know. Okay. Um, let me try dialing this one again. Yeah. So yeah. If, there's oh, at least now it. At least now it's ringing. Hello, Maureen. It's Ariel. Can you hear me yeah, okay? Yeah, it was so weird. Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, we can. So, yeah, I mean, okay. I, 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 we couldn't hear you as soon as Lavender started talking to you, so I tried to um, turn your mic off and on again, and then you completely... And you bounced me got, out, yeah. Got no cut worries. off. So, don't know. It's just, uh, you know... When it comes to technology, it gives you what it wants to give you when it wants to give it to you. So we're glad that you're back now. So I just called you from the from the switchboard. So okay, let's try take this. Um, take two, Lavendar. Okay, I'm here. Okay, Maureen. Okay. Let's go ahead and all right. Explain so to I was us about your book called Waking Up in 5D: A Practical Guide to Multidimensional Transformation. It's a wonderful book, and I've been reading on it. So tell our audience all about it. So this book is about the experiences that people are having, the way to be proactive into your uh, ascension work. And the number one, uh, I think, aha that people are getting is that they're discovering that they're already fifth dimensional. And that's really one of the big keys to the book. Now, you guys at, at your work at Starseed Hotline, you have been holding space for people and what this book does is identify markers or ways to know that you've already been fifth dimensional and then to tell stories of what other people have experienced and what I have experienced that reinforce your experience and validate what is going on with the reality and how we are changing and transforming things. Well, it, give us some examples of some stories that people have told you about their awakening in 5D. Do you have any stories you could tell us? Yeah, there's a great story in um, the book from a, a very close friend of mine who invited me to teach a workshop. And one day she was having a really rough, rough day. And she said, you know, I want to go back into that energy from the workshop, that 5D energy. And so she announced it to herself, 
And then over the course of the day, everything shifted and changed. Now, what, what does that mean? It means that her experience of events became blissful instead of stressful. And the, uh, the way you look at things became humorous instead of upsetting. Now, a way to know that you have been fifth dimensional is to think about when you've been sitting in traffic. And let's say you're at the traffic light and the light is red, you're the third car back, and the light changes. No one starts crossing the street. The cars don't start moving. And you notice this, but then you forget that you noticed it, and everybody moves and everything's fine. And you don't really mind. There's no energy on it. But in hindsight, you realize that you saw the light change, but no one moved. You saw the light change, and no one started crossing the street if it's an urban area. And what's really happening is you're actually observing at fifth dimension before people in 3D are noticing. So you're literally a few seconds ahead, sometimes a few minutes ahead. Another way to know that you're in fifth dimension is to be having a conversation with someone and you notice, they notice, hey, I was just going to ask that and you've already answered it. It's because you already heard the question in your thought and answered it without realizing it, you didn't hear it in real time. So fifth dimension is slightly ahead in the sequence of things, and that's as it should be. Um, so th- those are a couple of really big, significant ways to know. And, of course, the, the misplaced items that I've talked about before is also another way to know, and I can explain that. Yeah, explain that about the misplaced items. Is it also like coming back so, in the future? A little bit. Bit, yeah. um, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, and I guess the, another big aha before I explain misplaced items is to realize that we are sliding into fifth and then back into third. So we're not staying fifth dimensional uh, all the time. We are, um, you know, evolving up in our place of joy and bliss, and then we're sliding back down when somebody pushes our buttons. And uh, this is easily demonstrated when something is misplaced. Let's say you come in from a sunny day and you put your sunglasses away in a drawer. And then later you think, oh, I have to go back out. So you go looking for your sunglasses and they're not there. So you um, rummage around, you pull everything out of the drawer. You say, fine, I got to go. And you pull out a spare from some other place. You come back, you forget that you're wearing your spare sunglasses and you go to put them away in the drawer and you open the drawer and there are the missing sunglasses. And when you come back from your second errand, you're in this happy place, you've been out in the sun, you're in a joyful place because you got this extra thing done. And so you're in 5D. So what's happening is when you put something down in 5D and then you slide back to 3D, your stressful place, a place where you're worried about getting something else done, you might not notice your sunglasses because even if you pull everything out of the drawer, you're in 3D and your sunglasses are in 5D. So the vibrational data set prevents you from seeing them. And then when you come back and you're in this nice, sweet place again, you'll see them. And this has happened to so many people. When I go and do live workshops 
and events, I'll ask the audience, how many of you have had something like this happen? And we're not talking about misplaced keys, you know, or you come home late from having too much fun or to drink or whatever, and, and you don't remember what you've done. I'm saying you know perfectly well where it's supposed to be. You turn that drawer inside out, walk away, and then come back, and it's exactly where it's supposed to be. That is sliding from third to fifth and back, and then, you know, sliding from fifth to third and back. Wow. Maybe that explains my now, which in- <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Now, now here's, here's a key. Here's a really important key that your listeners can use, and this is very, very powerful. When something happens that defies explanation, most people will label it. Oh, that was weird. Oh, that was strange. Or I had the weird thing happen. Or they will dismiss it. Oh, that was strange. And forget about it. You know, like push it out of their consciousness. And this is um, what I would call mass consciousness, wanting us to fit in, wanting us to, quote, be normal. And when, when you notice that something unusual has happened, like Neo in the Matrix, when he noticed the cat was moving backwards, or for me, when I noticed that a book is, is out of the bookshelf of, a, you know, of 100 books, what happens is your consciousness has slipped into the higher dimension and is noticing that something is different. So let's say uh, you observe something that doesn't match the way things work in 3D. Instead of dismissing it or instead of saying, oh, well, that was weird or I had the strangest experience, instead, don't do that. Instead, unhook from the, the desire to label it and instead, ask a question. And there's only one question to ask, and that is, what's going on? Because the what question is completely open-ended. And the more you work with your own divine guidance, the more you activate your inner knowing and honoring a piece of information that makes no sense is part of that. So when you do that, and then you ask, wonder what's going on, I wonder what's going on, or what is going on, you will get answers. And that's actually how I knew that stuff was going into a higher dimension. Because initially, when my stuff was disappearing, and this goes back, you know, many years, I was asking, where did my stuff go? And I was always told, well, it's in a higher dimension. But then, when I asked, what's going on, I was told, Maureen, you were in the higher dimension when you put it down. And that had never occurred to me. Makes total sense. Makes total sense. Wow. Yeah. Our audience is going to love that. I have a lot of people that think that they're always talking about their missing objects. (laughs) So I hope they're listening tonight. Yeah. And, And now how do you get your missing objects back? And the answer is to say, I would like my missing item returned or I'm ready for it to come back. Thank you very much. Now, the thank you very much is is crucial, not because you're thanking the universe for returning your stuff, but when you move into gratitude, even if it's a a flippant kind of thank you very much, even if it's like that, you're still telling the universe, okay, I'm at peace about it. It's going to come back, you see? And the minute you shift back into that peaceful place, you're going to remain 5D. And the more we remain 5D, the more we can co-create the new version of the reality that we're trying to make because we are co-creating the new reality. I know that you talk a lot about Flower of Life and, and the Merkaba. 
um, I know that a lot of people have joined forces with the Flower of Life training, and a lot of them are listening to the show tonight. So would you talk a little bit about your experiences with Flower of Life and the Merkaba? Yes. Yes, I would. First of all, um, I was a facilitator with Drumbolo's group for almost 20 years. And um, I stayed until the very end of that cycle. And then a new cycle started with Drumbolo, and he was uh, empowering people to teach another workshop that was called Living in the Heart, and then he renamed that the New Merkaba. And that's where you put your tongue on the roof of your mouth. Now, I attended that class five times, but I never became a facilitator of it. I never, when I checked in with my own guidance and asked if I should be a teacher of that, I was always told no. So even though I had the time available and the resources, my guidance was very clear not to do that. And so I have practiced the original 17 Breath Merkaba from the beginning. Now, initially, um, um, we were taught that it would go permanent at some point, and certainly mine did. But when I asked my higher self if I should continue, actually what I asked was, is my Merkaba permanent? And my higher self said, that's not the right question for you. So then I said, okay, am I to continue doing the Merkaba, practicing this meditation? And I was told yes. And I did the Merkaba meditation every single day for over eight years. And I still do that meditation regularly, not every single day, but I did it every day for eight years. Now, what that did for me is um, imprint it into my consciousness. So your Merkaba might go permanent, but if you're not actively reinforcing it, it might not stay permanent. So that's one piece. And then what happened is another um, uh, mystic brought uh, a new meditation, a new Merkaba to my attention. And this new Merkaba is a activation of a higher expression of the original 17 breaths. So what you do is you might do the 17 breath Merkaba and then you would add on the 5D multidimensional Merkaba. Now everyone that I have taught the new multidimensional Merkaba has come back to me and said it has changed everything. Because what happens is you're now creating another toroidal field that goes above your head you're using your eighth chakra your um, portal to the higher self that chakra which sits above your head becomes the nexus point of a whole new system of Tauruses and um, activations of your higher chakras so you know the 9th 10th 11th and 12th chakras and you're actually building this uh, geometric shape around the body and the new meditation only takes 15 minutes to do but then the one of the two people that one of the two mystics that brought this material to me also is a, uh, a sound activator and so she was working with this new meditation for about eight years on her own privately and you know like honing it and and bringing it you know birthing it into the reality and her voice will activate in you this um, new 5D Merkaba. So the book has the actual meditation. You could do that meditation without the voice activation and imprint it in your body. What happens by using the voice imprint is that you get a um, beneficial effect where 
it creates the vessel to hold it there permanently. So you don't need to do it as often. Initially, everybody who did it felt called to do it every other day. And it's almost like you would say, you know, I had those great brownies yesterday. And then the next day you think that was good. But the day after you're going, you know, I really want some of those brownies again. It's like that. You really, you feel the desire coming from within that you really want to do it again. And I'm quite confident that that also goes permanent. But there's a very cool outcome that comes from doing this meditation. Now, I'll I'll use my husband as an example because he's not a daily meditator, but he is a devotional kind of guy. And he's very interested in these things. And when he learned this meditation, he was coming to me and saying, we haven't done that since, you know, two days ago. Can we do it again? Which is amazing because he's not that kind of guy. You know, he's a scientist. He likes his books and his computer, you know. So that, that's one very powerful testimonial. But the, the biggest outcome that I saw, which I think is absolutely a delight, is he became funny. Now, you know how some people are real serious and they try to crack jokes, but they're never very funny and they're kind of dry and, you know, you really have to work it to get, get them to come up with humor. Well, he started cracking jokes and seeing humor everywhere. And remember, that's one of the marks of being 5D because everything is funny in 5D. Everything is funny. No matter what the irony is, no matter what the problem is, you can see the humor in it. And honestly, when I, I, I thought to myself one day, you know, he's gotten really, what is that? And it was the Merkaba. So that's a, it's a very cool tool. And his, um, his connection and his um, abilities in terms of intuition and knowing have increased dramatically. So he would not refer to himself as being connected or psychic or anything like that. But after he started doing the Merkaba, you know, within a, within a period of time, maybe six or ten months, what, he, what I noticed is that he was announcing things that were 100% spot on. Not only that, but then he, um, he would intuitively announce, we need to do this, or let's go here, or I think we need to do this. And it would come from this connection. And he would know things that he had no way of knowing. And I would say, how did you know that? He'd say, I, I know, I thought you told me. Very funny and fun. Wow, that's a that's a great story. So, how, how does he feel about your work? Does he support your work? Big time, big, big time. time. In fact, I didn't want to tell you right away because I wanted to make sure everything worked out okay. But I'm actually in Shanghai right now taking this call, <laughs> really? and it's yeah, it's uh, you know it's okay. a little bit before eight a.m. our time here in Shanghai. And um, it was an easy thing to do because it was before my class would start today, which starts, you know, later on this morning. And um, he actually came with me on this trip. So he, uh, he loves to support me. He loves to tell people how uh, amazing I am. And uh, when people ask him, you know, his professional friends ask him about his wife, what does your wife do? He says she's a mystic. She teaches spiritual stuff and she writes books and you know, is well-known and blah, blah, blah. 
you know, I'll tell you a funny story. When I met him, I, um, I told my sister that he was geographically undesirable because I'm a New York girl. You know, I love New York. I'm transplant to New York, but, you know, New York is, is my, my favorite place. Uh, you know, someone said, well, where, if you could wave a magic wand and live anywhere you want, where would you live? And the answer is New York. And um, he was living in Seattle at the time. And there was just no way I wanted to be with a guy from Seattle, especially because he had a big house. And it looked like he was pretty settled in there, you know, I'm thinking, no way. And so when he first, you know, said, well, I'd like to see you again, uh, after he had met me at a workshop, I said, uh, well, you're going to have to come to New York. And I'm thinking, like, come to New York. And the next time I hear from him, he said, well, and he said, well, when should I come? And because I was, like, really resisting this, this opportunity, I said, I have no idea. Go look on my website, and if I'm not teaching, I'm home in New York. Well, the next time I heard from him, he was, um, he, he said he had bought two tickets to come to New York. The first one was when uh, he, um, when I wasn't teaching in October, and the next one was when I wasn't teaching in November, or maybe September and October. I don't remember. Anyway, he picked the two weekends that were coming up like a month and a half from now, and bought tickets for both weekends. And I'm thinking, ah, that's interesting. And then um, when I was really, you know, like wanting to be sure that this guy really knew what he was getting into, um, I said to him, well, you know, I'm famous. Are you sure you want to be with somebody who's, you know, really famous? He said, well, Maureen, I'm famous too, you know, which I thought was hilarious. And then he sent me a text saying, um, it turns out that you are, you know, 17.5 times more famous than me because he's written books and he's very well known in his own field. Um, And finally, the final test was, are you sure you want to be with me? You know, I travel a lot. I'm going to be gone a lot. And he said, I'd rather be with you part time than not at all. Wow. So ladies, if you're looking for your beloved, quit it. Quit looking and instead use these stories and pretend you're telling someone the same story. Pretend it's your story, that you're with someone that absolutely adores you, absolutely loves your work, is very proud of you and fully supports it, and let him find you. And he told me later that he heard a voice in his head saying, don't let her get away. (laughs) Yeah. How long have you been with him? Eight years. Eight years. It'll be nine years in January. Yeah, nine years in January. Eight and a half years. That's great. It's gone by so fast. Hard to know. Hard to hard to comprehend that. You know. Yeah. So. I know that you also talk in your book about Jake, a sacred geometry and the chaos theory, and fractals in your work. What should people know about them? Aha. Uh-huh. Well, first of all, fractals are a very good way to look at chaos. So you know, we've all seen. Uh, fractals. But what you don't realize is fractals are created by generating a number through a um, division. So, for example, we look at one-third and we understand that it's 100 divided by 3, which gives us one-third. Or 1 divided by 3 gives us one-third. Or if we look at the dollar, one-third of a dollar is 33 cents. But it's really 33 
0.33333, which goes on forever. That's called an irrational number. There are other kinds of irrational numbers that don't repeat. And irrational numbers only come from a division. So in other words, you would divide um, 34 into 55, and you would get 1.618, blah, blah, blah. And it would produce a random number. And the number is only predictable if you do the math, if you actually do the division, or if you look it up on Google and, and you know you know the answer. So an irrational number is a number that has what I would call infinite decimal carryover. There's always a remainder. There's always another number that you could produce. So if you want to go out five digits, you have five decimals. If you want to go out 100 digits, there's 100 numbers after that decimal point. So they use a number like that to create coordinates, and then they plot it with pixels. Now, when you and I look at an um, a, um, uh, image like that, we think we're seeing the same thing everywhere. There's a famous phrase of the guy who invented these called, uh, his name was Mandelbrot. He only recently passed away in the last couple of years. But he was a famous mathematician, and he calls it turtles all the way down. And you see in his famous Mandelbrot set, the most famous one, the very first one he created, that there were um, pictures of, like, turtles. It kind of resembled turtles in every direction, and each one is slightly different. So we're literally looking at a picture of chaos. And when you realize that even chaos has order, that's when you begin to understand that the universe is far more ordered than we realize. And once we understand that, once we understand that we could tap into that order and like a sailboat on the water could tap into the breeze and use it to create or use it to manifest, you can begin to understand what we are capable of. And there's a whole book on that called um, um, Be a Genie, where I explain this. And, uh, you know, one of my students said, well, your book is, is like the secret on steroids, you know, this book, Be a Genie, because it explains the mathematical and, and scientific principles behind it. Now, after I wrote that book, I did ask my husband to review it and give me his two cents because he's kind of a mathematical and scientific genius. And he said it was good. There was no problem with the formulas or what I was postulating so that I felt a little bit of relief because I wrote it before he came along but um, if you want to know more about that get that book another way to learn a little bit more about fractals is to go out to the internet and watch the series that was done by Arthur Clark and Arthur Clark is the guy who did the space odyssey 2001 so he was a science fiction writer he's also deceased and he um, made some movies as well. And one of the movies he made was called Fractals, the Colors of Infinity. And for a long time, it was only available on a, um, you know, um, a VHS. And um, you had to buy it. And I, like, I bought it and paid for the rights to show it educationally. But nowadays, you can actually watch it on the Internet. It's like in five parts. It is worthy of your time because it will explain to you how fractals are created and explain to you how to um, understand how significant our being able to give a picture to chaos is 
Because when you look at the picture of what I call chaos, these random numbers that are produced from this random mathematical division, you begin to comprehend, oh my goodness, the universe is using itself to replicate. So the name of the video, again, is called um, Fractals, the color, Colors of Infinity. And you might want to put in Arthur C. Clarke with that search on YouTube, and you'll find it, um, and you can watch that. So now, how is that important? Well, what I realized is that there's one most important irrational number. And the most important irrational number is called phi, P-H-I. Now, most of us know pi because we learned it in fifth grade. And it's, you know, 3.14, and it's the relationship between the radius and the circle or the area of a circle. So we know this number. We had to memorize it. We might not know how it works or what it means. But if you take... Um, uh, a, a, a fraction to produce that, you would see how you would get more and more numbers after the 3.14 because 3.14 always is supposed to have the three dots to imply there's more numbers. So the most important irrational number is phi. And phi is found in the relationship between your little finger and the palm of your hand and the whole hand. So that number, 1.618, which is what phi works out to be, is found in a proportion in your hand and in your relationship of your hand to your elbow from the growth of your elbow to your shoulder. And it's found throughout the body. It's found in plant life. It's found in the relationship between Mercury and Mars and Venus. And it's also found in the DNA. And when you begin to comprehend all of that, then you can announce phi is source code. And once you understand that, then the next thing, which is called the Phoenix Sequence, you can actually use that to create. And that's, again, all put in that other book called Be a Genie. Going back to Waking Up in 5D, what Waking Up in 5D does is helps you recognize that you are the creator. And that, you know that, that old Disney movie, The Navigator, where the kid climbs in the spaceship and the, spa- and the kid doesn't understand, and finally the computer says, well, you are the navigator. Where do you want to go? And it's, it's like, oh, I get to decide? I don't have to put up with this? And the answer is yes. And see, the more we become fifth dimensional, that's another thing about 5D. You instantly manifest. Do you announce, you know, I, I really want to have such and such, and the next thing you know, you have it. You know, like, a couple of months back, I was looking in my closet at a, at a jacket that I had that I really liked, and I said, you know, I've always been wearing this with black. I'm thinking this to myself. I wonder, I, I'd like a gold-colored pair of pants. And the very next day, I'm walking by a store in a new neighborhood that my husband and I have never been to, and there's my gold pants. I walk in, they have my size, I buy them, and I have them. And that's what I mean when I say you instantly manifest. You just announce what you want, and, and opportunities present themselves. The day before, we had never even planned on going to this place. My husband had said, you know, I want to go over to this new neighborhood I haven't been to. There's something there I need to check out. You come with me. So I, you know, said, okay, fine, let's do it. That's 5D. You know, what comes to mind now, Maureen, is, you know, we do these solar return uh, charts for people to tell them their 10 hours of power because every cell in your body is a thousand times stronger than any other time of the year on on a on your birthday solar return and i'm wondering now if this kind of 
lifts you up into a 5D place where you can start really manifesting what you want for the coming year. I think so. I, I, you know, I was listening to your announcement on that, and I thought, that's really cool. Because when you know what your solar return is, you can capitalize on it. And I know a lot of people travel to be in a particular city for their solar return to really maximize it. But, um, and certainly at this cycle where we're in the Mars retrograde, where we're, you know, the universe is asking us to slow down, unhook from all the stuff we've been doing, and re-examine what's important. So if you're paying attention to your solar return, you're doing the same thing. And you're claiming uh, that this time is so important, I better manifest it. And I agree. You know, um, one of the teachings that I give people is that your birthday is the holiest day of the year. And I explain how to maximize it. And it it really aligns with this whole idea of the solar return. Now, um, I'm not teaching the solar return. I'm just teaching that that day is so powerful that, you can ask for your presence, which is kind of like the solar return. You can ask for your gifts. And there's a blog post on this. You know, if you go to my website and you type in birthdays, you'll find it. And if you have a birthday coming up and you can't get in this to, to find out your solar return because Lavender is so busy, um, you can look this article up because you don't have to wait until your birthday. In fact, I recommend that you start naming your presence early. And I also tell people, don't name every single thing. Instead, ask for what you need. You know, and it's like a joke. If I came into a big inheritance and one of my kids was graduating from college and I was going to buy him a car, if he goes to the used car lot and finds a car that he wants and keeps insisting that he has to have that car, I'll get him that car. But he might have gotten a new car because I had money. But he didn't know that. And that's the thing. We forget our ability to tap in to the God channel, if you will, is vast. And we do have resources. We often don't think we do. So if we give ourselves permission to access our vast resources, then, you know, then we'll get the best version, which is why I tell people, don't say you have to have that thing. Say, I, have, I want to have this thing so I can do this. So, you know, I want the ability to tap into my higher self. I want to see visions. I want to open up my channel to my ET brothers and sisters who are helping me, who are of the light, like that, rather than um, I have to be a direct channel to the Arcturians or something. It's a, it's a different thing. You know, it's just like saying I have to have a Jeep Cherokee or I need a car to haul the dog, the dog food, and the kids. You know, it's a different, you might end up with a better SUV. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Well, we have enjoyed talking to with you so much tonight, and I'd like to pass you over to my co-host because I see what time it is. Would you be willing to talk to some people that maybe want to call in and talk to you on the switchboard? Sure. Okay. So, Maureen, any time that you have anything new or something that we need to know about, you contact us, and even if it's for five minutes, you know, we have a very awake audience and people that are really into the Starseed movement. So be sure and let us know if we can help you in any way, okay? Yes, thank you so much. And I do have one new thing that I'd like to share with your audience. Okay. Okay. You know how I let always tell... Let me pass you over to, to Arielle and let you tell her, okay? Okay. 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 Very good. Arielle. Hi, Arielle. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
So you know how I always end with I'm asking for a day of heaven on earth for me and everyone I come in contact with? You've heard uh-huh. me say this many times. And uh-huh. I always, can you hear me okay? Yeah. Yes, I can. And I always, okay, and I always encourage our audience to do the same. You know, when you're starting out your day, just say, okay, I'm asking for a day of heaven on earth for me and everyone I come in contact with. Okay, so some of you have already adopted that, and you say that every day, and I highly recommend that you do because it changes everything to 5D right away. Well, what I discovered is that all of us have energy coalescing around events. You might be going to a family reunion. You might be going to a workshop. You might be going to uh, teach a course. You might be attending a course. Um, and I started claiming a week of heaven on earth for the family reunion or a week of heaven on earth for the college reunion. And what happened was transformative. So when you have an event or some you know, big thing that's in your future that you're thinking about, you're planning on, maybe you're buying special clothes for, maybe you're buying airline tickets for, when you think about it, Claim the time frame, whether it's a week, two weeks, three weeks, doesn't matter. I'm claiming three weeks of heaven on earth for my Europe trip, like that. And every time you think of it, to say that, what's happening is the universe is coalescing around that event because you bought tickets, you're calling people, you're going to see people, you're going to see events. So this, everything is lining up and coalescing. So it's becoming real. It's becoming tangible. And when you make that invocation, I'm asking for a week of heaven on earth for my Egypt trip, you're literally putting an overlay, like an umbrella of unconditional love and light on top of everything. And it's magical, absolutely magical. I love that. I love that. You start, as long as the energy is still in flux, when you add your intention, it can turn the tide one way or the other, you know, uh, before we even get there. Exactly. That's right. Yeah, I I have a a friend that used to call that sending my light before me. And it's kind of the same thing where you you are sending that. That's right. That's right. And I have plenty of examples where um, people have, experienced a version of the future in meditation and then come back to me and said, how come I saw this when I didn't see that? And the answer is always because those people that you saw paid in advance. And so their money was in it. Again, the energy is coalescing because your money is your energy as well. Wow. I'm thinking thinking now about our um, Starseed quests to Arkansas, which we do four times a year. And yeah. I'm going to start suggesting um, before the people even get there to start claiming, you know, the, the four days of heaven on earth. Exactly. Because that's exactly, exactly. you know, because once, once people commit and say, yes, I'm coming, then things start happening. And I get stories all the time from, wow, as soon as I put you know, my deposit in the mail, um, the synchronicities start flowing. And uh-huh. it, you know, it, it, that's kind of like hit and miss, but if you put your intent into it, it will be more hit than miss. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's just like miracles start unfolding, and and what you were saying before about, um, you know, when people put limits, and they say, okay, this is, you know, like your your story about having the, you know, getting a used car when you were ready to buy him a new one, you know, that that was putting a limit on it. So you think exactly. about the, the, you think about the um, the end result rather than all the details leading up to it. And, yeah, the universe will Mm -hmm. just always send you a match for whatever it is you put out. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that I say in the 5T book. Stop saying right or wrong and instead use the word match. This is a match for me. Brilliant. Right. Right, and that's what Lavendar says. If your name is on it, if your name is on it, it's a match for you. And knowing the difference of because there's plenty of things that your name is not on. And you know, if you think, well, I'm just going to go do that, and your name isn't on it, it just never kind of works out right. <laughs> so, or or works out as a match. Let's put it that way. So, I just want to take a moment here and let our listeners know that if you have a question for Maureen. If you are already on the switchboard, you'll need to press 1 so that we know you have a question. And if you're listening on the computer, then pick up the phone and dial 917-889-8292. And then once you're in, press 1. And while we are um, waiting to to see if anyone has... We had a caller at the very beginning of the show that um, is now not here, so they had a question so maybe they'll call back in with that. But I was really interested in uh, the part of your talk where you were talking about slipping back and forth, you know, from 5D to 3D. And, you know, it's 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 something that it all happens. I mean, it happens to all of us. Um, and that was like, okay, so what is it that um, kind of yanks you back into 3D? When, you know, oh, I was, you know, um, I was joyful, everything was going right, and, and I was, you know, my heart was wide open, and, and now it's not. What is that, that mechanism that kind of yanks us back down? Um, the primary thing that yanks you back is um, <laughs> your obnoxious family member who pushes your buttons, you know. Um, yeah. You know, somebody who does something, you know they know better or you think they know better, and they do it anyway. You know, they they behave in a way that you think, oh, and you get frustrated with them. When you uh, remain 5D, what happens is when they when they do that little thing, you just laugh. You think, oh, that's just them, and it doesn't bother you. But if you have a little bit of unresolved hurt from them doing it in the past, then they can push your button and trigger you, you see. So that's primarily what will cause you to um, um, slide back. Do this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, or a physical thing, you know, like if you fall and hurt yourself and you're in the habit of swearing. And I actually heard someone do this. Someone I thought was a pretty evolved teacher and um, she bumped her head and I heard words from her mouth that I, I was like, what? <laughs> you know, I, I was like shocked. 
And um, so, of course, her, her letting loose like that definitely caused her to slide back. It didn't cause me to slide back. I was just, you know, surprised, but it didn't upset me. It just shocked me, you know, like, whoa, what is that all about, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, the, the, the oh. anger, irritation, fear, judgment, um, kind of jealousy. I mean, just think about all of those, those you know, human foibles, um, and any one of them can, you know, take you back down to the ground floor, but... I think right. the beauty of it right. is that if you have the awareness, it's like, uh oh, you know, I, I I went back down to the basement. It's like, okay, well, the stairs are still there. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you yeah. just you can yeah. switch That's that well frequency. Said. It's well said. You know, and, 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 and think you know, about it's, think it's interesting. Right. Hello. Go ahead. Okay. Can you um, hear me? Yes. Yes. So, so you, I agree with you. The stairs are still there. Yeah. And so um, in the book, I describe words that you can use because a lot of times polarity words that you use regularly will yank you back down. So, for example, if we are constantly using right or wrong or good or bad, those polarity words will yank you back into 3D, even if there's no anger or frustration, because judgment of labeling something bad actually anchors in the polarity matrix. So, you know, it's like this. We have to look at everything that's going on with a little bit of detachment, kind of like you look at your child who's trying to make a picture. You don't judge the picture. You don't say that's a bad mark. You don't say that was really, um, uh, you know, not very good. Instead, you you look at it and say, well, they were trying to get the best they could. And that's a little bit hard when it's another grown-up that you know and you think that they would know better than what they did, whatever behavior it is. <clears throat> so you have to have a little bit of detachment. And then you choose to use words that do not anchor you into polarity. So there's a whole list of typical words that are very polarizing, you know, weird, um, good or bad, uh, you know, any of those. And then there's replacement words, like you use the word match, which is very, very powerful because it doesn't carry a pejorative. It holds a frequency of harmony and, and attraction, which is what a match is. Right. Resonance. Um yeah, I mean there, are, and we all do that. It's just so much a a, a part of our culture that um, exactly, you know, it's like you know, though that's just not right, or you know, you're exactly. wrong, or you know, and exactly. we have to catch ourselves and say, oh, that's that's you know, someone else's program, and and I don't want to use the 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 um, the triggers for that program. Um, exactly. We had a, we had another exactly. we had another guest a, a few weeks ago that was um, talking about never using the word "I'm sorry" because she said that that also takes you into um, the wrong space. Or no, see, I just did it. <laughs> I just, but saying that you're sorry it takes you is, back into 3D. 
takes it you takes you back into 3D. And and yeah, I wrote about that in my book as well. And I said that sorry makes me better. It makes someone else better. So for example, if I demand an apology from you, then then I'm making myself better than you because I think your behavior should have met my standard. You see. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm sorry is never necessary because instead of saying I'm sorry, a person needs to acknowledge. You know, like if I bump you and you fall to the ground, obviously I'm concerned for your welfare. So instead of saying, oh, I'm so sorry, I could say, are you okay? That expresses acknowledgement that I am aware that you fell as a result of my actions. But it doesn't require me to say I'm sorry to you because Whatever it was, I didn't intend to knock you over, so why do I have to apologize? Because apology implies that one person is better than the other and that if, um, if, if I knocked you over and you demanded an apology, that means you would have been in the same situation and you think you wouldn't have knocked me over. <laughs> it's kind of right. funny. You start to think about, oh, oh, that's what that means. Right, right. Yeah, and if we can watch our words, because, I mean, really, the spoken word has so much power, and it's something that we completely have control over. I mean, you can choose not to use a particular word, and it may take a while to phase it out of your your consciousness, but the fact that you are conscious that that, that word is um, hindering you then you just stop saying it. And little by little, mm-hmm. we can kind of wean that uh, or clean that out of our, our language because it's just it's so much a part of our culture. Exactly. And another thing that's really part of our culture that I, I really like your name is nodding your head no and saying yes. It was so fantastic. And you see people do this all the time where they shake their head no while they're saying something was really good. And what you're doing is you're negating the statement when you do that. Um, There's only one culture that I know of that shakes their head no, and that means yes, and that's Bulgaria. (laughs) And the first time I taught in Bulgaria, I was like, oh, my goodness, why are they not agreeing with me? (laughs) And then I realized that no was yes and that that yes was no. But that's the only place in the whole earth that I know of that, that, you know, the nod, one direction means no and the other direction means yes, but it's opposite what Western culture does. And because the West is so influential in Europe all over, that's gradually changing, you know. So Mm -hmm. um, this idea of noticing is a big deal. And one of the ways we can notice is to ask our angels and guides to help us notice when we are um, using words that are polarizing. Now, in my case, I began to cringe like you do when you hear swear words. You know, like somebody says some, you know, horrific thing and in your presence and you want to just pull back. And that, that feeling began to occur when I was hearing normal polarity words. And I thought, why, am I, why is this bothering me? And I asked, and it was because they were 3D words instead of the 5D version of the same agreement. 
so um, it's it's as you say, your words are very very powerful, and the more you allow yourself to be five D, because that's our new normal now. The more we allow ourselves to be five D, the more likely that everything will harmonize us in that direction. So it's kind of like, you know, kids who wear school uniforms tend to behave better. There's a respect for the uniform. There's uh, a certain expectation from the teachers and the parents. The kids know when they put on their uniform, certain behavior is expected. Well, this is kind of what's happening. We're being beamed, these lovely energies to support our being 5D. So it's going to be more likely that we are 5D all the time because that's our new normal. And all we have to do is step into it rather than work really hard. It's kind of it's going to be easy. Well, um, yeah, one of my students just, uh, here. Go ahead. I said you have to allow it. Exactly. But even, you know, for example, one of my students here um, had a large apartment that she shared with a bunch of friends. And then her parents lost their house through some drama, some family drama. And they moved in with her and she um, asked her roommates to find new places so that she could, you know, help her parents. And what happened is her parents shifted. Her vibration was so strong and so uplifting that they adopted her behavior. So it is also true that even if you're around people that aren't in harmony or acting out wacky stuff, your persistent kindness will pay off. You know, um, I'm a mom, I have four sons, and I went through rejection from one of my sons. And, you know, those of you who have had your kids reject you because you're into the spiritual stuff, it's very painful because they're really afraid. Now, my son who did this, he was experiencing these energies. He was experiencing the inner sight. He could see stuff and he could feel stuff. So the reason he rejected it is because he didn't want it to be real. So he couldn't validate it in me. So the only way to deal with it is to go for the rejection version. And there was some very painful years. You know, he's now, you know, very close to me and calls me all the time. But back then, you know, I went through maybe four or five years where he was just hateful. And I made up my mind that I was going to behave the same way towards him that I would if I had a loving relationship. So that meant I sent him birthday presents, I sent him cards, I would I would speak kindly of him, I would ask him to come to family events, just like he was, you know, one of the sons who never did that. And I decided to do that not I did it because I didn't want to return his energy, I wanted it to like go through me, you know, pass through me without impacting me. And even though it did hurt, I chose to always behave as if he was the loving son I always wanted him to be. 
And the cool thing is, I don't have any regrets. And if I right. had, you know, one of my friends said, why are you, you know, why are you so good to this son? You know, he's so mean to you. He's so blah, blah, blah. You know, you should tell that son, blah, blah, blah. And my response was, I don't think that'll get me what I want. And she said, well, what is it that you want? And I said, I want a loving relationship. I want time with my sons. And so that's a choice. So when we're around family members, and that's really our biggest challenge these days, I think, or we're coworkers, you know, people who don't understand. When we choose to behave as if we love them anyway, we do love them anyway, and we create a matrix for them to grow into. Right. Well, I mean, if one guy, you know, to use an, an analogy, if one guy, you know, pulls out a gun, if you pull out your gun too, then you're just going to have two dead people, you know. But if you're not armed and you don't fight, then that takes the, you know, takes a lot of the energy out of that. And pretty soon they just put the gun away. And as you said, you created a place for him to come into a higher level and that's exactly what happened. You know, you remind me of something that happened to me years ago. I was on the Atlanta subway, and I was coming from the airport, and I had never ridden the subway before. It was long before everyone had cell phones. And my host had said to me, call me when you get to the platform, and I'll be able to estimate when you are going to arrive at my end of town. And she had asked me to take the subway instead of picking me up because there was some snafu at work and she got hung up, you know. So it was like a last-minute deal. So I agreed. I wasn't afraid to take the subway, even though I had not done it before. And um, I got on the train, and two women got on. So now there's three of us in this one car. And then a big man, like six foot four, maybe 250, 300-pound guy gets on. And the two women get off. Now, my higher self doesn't tell me there's a problem, so I don't get off. I just notice that these things are going on. So the train goes to the next station, but in the time that it goes to the next station, this man comes up to me and demands that I give him some money. Now, he's used to intimidating people, but I'm not, I'm not noticing that there's a problem because, again, I'm plugged in. So when he asks me for money, he demands money, I said, well, I'm not going to give you any. And he says, just give me some money. And I said, no, I'm not going to give you any money. Then he asked me a third time, and I said, "Um, you know, my ears are a little plugged up, and I'm having trouble hearing you. you Are you asking me the same thing you just asked me a few seconds ago? Just give me some money. And I said, you know, I mean no disrespect, but I don't do that. Sorry. Now, can you imagine? What a, what a sentence. I mean no disrespect to this guy who's used to bullying people. And I'm looking him in the eye and saying, no, I'm not going to give you any money. Well, by the time this conversation, you know, got going, we're at the next stop. And so, you know, he didn't get any money from me. And it's, he's, he decides to get off the train. And I look at him and I say, you know, you might try sales. You're pretty persistent. <laughs> No fear, absolutely no fear, because there was no danger. When you're plugged into 5D, you know that. So in in my awareness, my higher self knew that although he was a bully, he wasn't dangerous. 
He wanted to give the impression he was dangerous so he could scare me and get money from me, but it didn't work. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, it's so funny. When, when, you didn't, now. when you didn't react in the way that he was accustomed, it kind of threw him. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that, that I had a, a kind of a similar situation uh, many many years ago when I was uh, performing, um, and I always dressed, you know, in stage clothes that were did not look like street clothes. But off the stage, um, people didn't know what to make of me. So I'm on my way home in my stage clothes, and I stopped at a gas station, and it was not the best part of town. And um, there was a man there on the other pump, and uh, he made a, a a rude comment. And I just turned around and looked at him. I said, what would your mama say if she heard you talking like that? And he just went rewind. <laughs> and that was it. It just defused. <laughs> you know? That's adorable. That's because just he did, adorable. He didn't get the intimidation that he was, you know, wanting to give him the upper hand. But, yeah, I mean, if you don't play and you don't react, um, you've got control of the situation. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that what a delightful thing to say because it wasn't putting him down. It was just saying, hey, and this is something else that I tell people, and it's exactly what you did in the sense that instead of answering someone's, statement to you that makes you feel uncomfortable, ask the question. So, you know, um, you know, who, who, you know, why are you doing such and such? And for you to go, well, hey, you know, she's with me, you know, if you're, you know, it's, it gives, you know, where are you going to find? What are you going to do? What would your mama say? These questions actually raise the bar. And that's what your question did. It raised the standard for this guy. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I guess the, the the moral of the story is just stay detached because as soon as you, as soon as you, yes. you know, start getting, you know, playing the game, then you're caught. And then as soon as your frequency exactly. goes down, anger, fear, you know, Irritation, any of that, as soon as your frequency goes down, um, you're you're vulnerable to the third dimension and you know, anything and it wants to that's brilliant. do. <laughs> yeah. That's just brilliant. That's just brilliant. I uh, hate to say this. I'm enjoying this so much, but I have to run because I have a class to teach this morning. Well, you know, I was just going to say that it um, doesn't look like we have anybody with a question, and I know that you have to go. So um, I want to thank you so much. We had no idea that you were in China. Um, and <laughs> thank you thank you so much for getting up at the crack of dawn so that you could be with us. And I want to encourage everyone to pick up any of your books. They're all wonderful. Waking Up in 5D, Be a Genie, and Beyond the Flower of Life. Your website, Maureen St. Germain, and that's, M-A-U-R-E-E-N, St. S-T, Germain, G-E-R-M-A-I-N.com. You've got a ton of resources on there, a lot of wonderful information, and you are right on the beam, and we're just really, really happy that we know you. (laughs) So thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, and I feel the same way. I'm so grateful to be part of your network 
And I'm always thrilled to be on your show, which is why we made time to make it happen. I'm just thrilled. Thank you so much. Oh, well, we are very appreciative. So we're going to wrap it up here. And um, you have a great time, a safe time, and a wonderful trip, heaven on earth, <laughs> until you Thank get you. back home. Thank you so much. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye, Ariel. Okay, Maureen. Bye-bye. So on behalf of everyone here at Starseed Radio Academy, we thank you for sharing your time with us, and we will be back next week. And until then, keep that frequency up and claim your power. Remember to be grateful. Good night, everyone. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 